Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discuss during the narrative game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. everybody to the long overdue return of the narrative game with my dear friend Dr. Ben Hunt. Ben and I have been trying to get together for this conversation for quite some time now and I am delighted to have finally had the chance for us to talk and I've got to say what a conversation it was. Ben's work at Epsilon Theory has I have to say been absolutely foundational to my own understanding of much of what's happening around me in the economy and perhaps more importantly in recent years the political economy. But in recent weeks, Ben has published a couple of notes about the metaverse, which encapsulate perfectly the work he and his partner, Rusty Ginn, have been doing with Epsilon Theory. And trust me when I tell you, the metaverse of Ben and Rusty is wholly different to that being touted and pushed at you by Mark Zuckerberg. It's hard for me to concede that there may be people out there who don't follow Ben's work, but if that's the case, you can rectify that quite easily by visiting epsilontheory.com and following Ben at Epsilon Theory on Twitter. So, with that being said... Let's get back to the narrative game with my good friend, Dr. Ben Hunt. Ben, mate, it has been way, 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 <laughs> way too long since you and I have got together to do one of these, and, and even longer since we've seen each other in person. And I, I'm glad we've done this as a stepping stone to to the latter. Can't wait for the latter, but uh, this was long overdue, as you say, Grant. Good to see you. Good to see you, my friend. You too. You too. You too. I'm not so happy about the fact that I look 10 years old and you look 10 years younger <laughs> since the last time I saw but... I'm something I'm going to have to learn to live with. That's all it is. Yeah. 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 Thank God it still does. So listen, mate, um, I guess the impetus for this call was two fantastic pieces you've written lately. And, you know, I I have to say, and I'm not blowing smoke, your writing, your content just gets better and better and better. The the, the things you come up with and the way you explain some of these concepts just blows my mind every time. So first of all, congratulations on that. Well, that means so much, especially coming from you. So, so, so thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. It's it's just it's just wonderful. But these the two pieces you put out recently mm-hmm. about the metaverse TM. Yes. And and the metaverse. Just I I just felt we had to have this conversation because it's just you know you you and I sat. And we've talked about this in this podcast before. You and I sat in San Antonio at dinner five no seven six years ago six years ago now. Yep. And you talked to me about what you were planning to do with narrative and passing language and trying to understand what's happening. And then to me, when I read those two pieces about the metaverse, that it just, to me, it felt like you, you'd completed what you set out to do. And now it's a question of watching what that brings us. So, so I'd love for you to just explain the genesis of that conversation those years ago, what you tried to do, and then we'll get to the, the pieces you wrote recently, because they're just fantastic. Time flies, right, Grant? I mean, it, it was, it? It was uh, it? yeah, it was 2016. It was election night, in That's fact. Right. Uh, that That's was right. a, a, a fairly consequential election night. But... Uh, so I've written two notes, right? The first one called part one right, of, of narrative and metaverse is subtitled The Living Word. And the subtitle of part two uh, is Gain of Function. And both of those are going to be relevant here because what frankly clicked for me over the last couple of months, and I mean really clicked, right? Because it, it, you're, you're absolutely right that six years ago, we were having conversations about what narrative is and how important it is and how it we are hardwired, literally hardwired to respond to it. But that was just a phrase I was using. You know, right. oh yeah, humans are hardwired to respond to, 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 to narrative and to words. And I'm hard pressed to say what was the eureka moment. Actually, I think it was around COVID, not around our social response to it, but to the virus itself that you know, something snapped inside of me or snapped together, not snapped apart, but snapped together. And that basic idea was, oh my God, you know what? I I think that narratives, words, grammars, I think they are alive in the same way that a virus is alive. We all think of a virus as as, as a living thing. No human being has ever seen a virus. 
Right? No right. one ever has, right? right? And, and the numbers we talk about with viruses, they're incomprehensible to us. Billions and trillions, trillions, right? And, and that is what we talk about with the microverse, right? This invisible world to us that we all believe exists, physically exists, made up of atoms. Yeah, we've never seen it. And it can dominate our world, the macroverse. And it just clicked for me somehow that narratives and words they're not just like a virus, but I started thinking that, no, they really are a virus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's so true. It's so true. It, it, well, I think it's true. And, 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 and the reason I think it's true is, is that thoughts, language, the things we say to each other as a social animal, a biologically social animal, all of this has to exist in the real universe, right? There is no ghost in the machine, right? Some some extra dimension or something like that. We're made of atoms, everything that we do and think, you know, there, there, there's got to be a physical instantiation somewhere of it. Where is it? Well, it's in our brains. Of course, it's in our brains. But then, you know, reading about something that's fascinating forever, which, which is neurobiology, right? And the, you know, where does language and where do our thoughts exist inside our brain? The answer, they exist within this I'll call it an electrochemical ocean of neurons and the connectivity. You know, each of our human brains has you know, 100 billion neurons, you know, an, an, an just an unimaginably large number. And then there are billions of people, right? So what you end up with is we're talking about quadrillions, just, again, you know, number that we as human beings in the macroverse have no conception of. Yeah, you know, well, unless, unless thought, you're a, a Japanese central bank governor, then, then right, you, then yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then, then you, you can at least <laughs> use that that word, right? You know, the, right. that word has meaning to you. But I'm convinced that there's no human being who really grocks a number larger than the number of other humans they've seen together at one place in time, right? A big stadium, right. a sports stadium, right? I know what eighty thousand is, or even a hundred thousand. I know what that number is. I've seen it. Yeah. I. I know what it is, but a million, 10 million, a hundred million, a billion, these are numbers. They're, they're just letters. They have, they have no real meaning to me in yeah. my world. And yet that is the world of both the microverse and what I'm going to call the metaverse, which is this world. And it's a physical world. It's a physical world of quadrillions, quintillions of human neurons, right? organized in specific ways, thinking the same things across billions of human brains. So that was kind of step one, right, of the right. click moment. The other click moment has been this research that I've been doing, you know, not just for the last six years, but this is crazy to think, but, you know, you and I, Grant, we've been around for a while. I've been doing this for 30 years, yeah, trying to look at the science of narrative and words, of unstructured data. As, yeah. as we think about it. And what I've learned over that professional career is that the stories, the narratives we respond to, they're like a script. They have a story arc. They have a life cycle. <laughs> and I mean that quite literally. Sure, they they sure. have a literal life cycle where these stories, and it's the same stories, they're born, they live, they grow, they multiply, they don't, and they die. I like to use the example of the TV show Law and Order. 600 right. plus episodes have been filmed. There are only a dozen scripts. Yeah. There are only a dozen scripts. Change the words around, change the details around, a dozen scripts can generate 600 episodes. Now, there's more than a dozen scripts that we play to ourselves over and over again in politics or markets, but it's a finite number. It's a finite number, Grant. Right. There's a certain number of these scripts that we play over and over and over again in human history with a specific lifespan. They, they talk about in Hollywood, right, that, they, they, that every movie you've ever seen come out of Hollywood has a specific structure. It's a three-act play. Set up, yep. confrontation, resolution. Everyone. Right? And again, it's because we are hardwired to respond to that. Hardwired in what we enjoy in Hollywood but also hardwired to what we engage with and what we must engage with in politics and markets. So that's the metaverse, my friend. The metaverse is real, right? right? It's, not, it's not virtual reality. 
it's not your avatar on a, you know, on some Zoom call. That's part of the metaverse, sure. Of course it is. But it's the merest, most inconsequential part. And you know who understands that very well? Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. He gets yeah. it. He gets it. Right? Because what the metaverse is, is the environment in which we think. And through concentrated, dedicated efforts to change the life forms of the metaverse, the narratives, the grammars, the words we use, it changes the way we think. Yeah. And that's the yeah. real power. And you don't think yeah. Mark Zuckerberg it, it, gets it? He absolutely gets it. Absolutely right. Well, let's come back to that for a second. So yeah. I just want to stick with this, this the metaverse within the metaverse, because um, it's funny that you and I first had this conversation on election night 2016, because <laughs> it seems as though the acceleration in the importance and the weaponization of language has really kind of sped up since then. Uh, and it's it's action and reaction. They've just fed on themselves to this point where we are now, as you say, drowning in very deliberate attempts to shape and craft the world around us into a set of acceptable ideas, acceptable yep. actions. You know, everything is designed to do that. Now, I go back and forwards wondering whether is this purely designed for control? Is this purely designed to sell you things? Because that's ultimately what the world has become, a, a means to sell you something. Is it a mixture of both? What do you think has been the main driving force that's led us down this path? As Hemingway said, it's all true. <laughs> right? He's talking <laughs> about course. religions. He's saying, no, See you know, all of the above. it's yeah. all true. It's all true. Yeah. And you're absolutely right that words and narratives have been weaponized, intentionally weaponized for commerce, for transactions, for votes, for anything that delivers power, right? For whatever delivers power. And that was why I titled the second note, Gain of Function. Right. Because it's exactly the same process. The process of doing gain of function research on infectious viruses where you add a little genetic code here, you take a little bit out there, let's see what happens, is exactly, and, and I don't mean this in a metaphor, right? I mean, I right, mean right. this is what is happening with language, right? Where you take a little snippet out, you put a little snippet in, hey, let's see how that acts on our neurons, how that fires hardwired neurons in human brains that push us into specific behavioral patterns. What has changed, Grant, over the last, I'm going to call it 15 years, I think a couple of things have changed. The most important thing that's changed is that now everybody in power gets it. Right. Central bankers, they get it. Right. This, this is how you impact investor behavior, not by the policies, but by your forward guidance, by your words, by your carefully chosen words. And they are extremely carefully chosen to drive certain narratives that have a certain life cycle that can be managed to try to deliver a certain behavioral outcome. There's a script. Talking of scripts and central bankers, that's an interesting one because you know right now we have a situation where the central bankers are trying to convince people that they're going to hike. They're trying to convince people that rates are going to go higher and they seem earnest about it. But for the first time, the market seems to be ignoring them. And that that seems to be a major change for me. We're seeing it at the margin, the market's wavering mm. around. But if you look at where inflation is, you look at where rates need to be, the market is saying, we're, actually, we're not believing the language this time. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that a little bit. I think that what okay. has happened around the inflation narrative follows the three-act structure of every good Hollywood movie. Right. Act one is the setup where inflationary data points start to build. And Cassandra's, like you and me, Grant, we are characters in this movie. We are stock oh, yeah. characters in this movie. We're not leading characters in this movie. We're, nope. we're character actors in this movie. We are a stereotype. And our stereotype is to say, no, there really are changes happening here around inflation. Inflation is real and it's becoming embedded, right? In wages and prices and everywhere else. You were on this, 
I was on this. This is set up. This is act one. Act one ends with the good guys, in this case, the central bankers, because the post they are, they're cast as the good guys. This is team transitory, right? So act two, confrontation, begins with team transitory fighting the good fight. Nope, it's not really inflation. Nope, it's not here. The Cassandras are wrong. We're fighting the good fight. You can look it up. In every movie, and, and, and I'm not talking about just action movies here. I'm using a lot of action terms, but this is true for a rom-com. This is true for sci-fi. This is true for horror. This is true for drama, high drama. In the middle of Act Two, there is the twist, the big twist, the big shock. And that, in our case, was Jay Powell saying, yep, you know what? It's not transitory. It's right. here. It's here. I mean, this is the script, Grant. This is the script, right? And what follows from that script? Oh, action increases, right? Tension. There's a crisis. There's a disaster. Disaster for ARC, right? Disaster for every, you know, infinite duration, growth, tech, profitless company. Disaster, right? And then there's act three, resolution, which in Hollywood terms, they call it declining action. Uh-huh. Now, declining action doesn't mean which there could be a lot of action, but what they mean by declining action is that obstacles are overcome, mm-hmm. leading forward to the, you know, to the to the end of the conclusion and you know the wrap-up, right? So what do we see in markets? Well, the 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 equivalent to declining action would be declining volatility. Obstacles overcome is climbing that wall of worry. That in fact, and this is the movie, the script is playing out right now, that in fact, yes, the Fed will triumph after all. They'll probably hike 50 bips in March. And they might hike four more times in this this year. But by God, that will overcome the obstacles. There's the script. There you go. And I'm telling you, that's what markets are playing out today. They're playing out the script. They're playing out yeah, the script, yeah, it, Grant. Now, yeah, it, yeah now, sorry, one last thing, because this is the big no, difference between a movie and real life. Real life, the curtain never falls, <laughs> right? There's yeah, not yeah. you know, one script that starts, goes through act one, act two, act three, and then we, we all go home, either happily ever after or not, right? Depending on what movie you've scripted here. There's always another script. There's always another set of acts that has to take place, right? And I can imagine a lot of scripts between now and the rest of 2020, the end of 2022, that won't follow the declining action, declining volatility, and, you know, fed Uber Alice because they they saw the light and, you know, they battled inflation and they won. I can imagine a lot of some scripts that they will know that's back in Act One, right? You know, it's back to yeah. So, yeah. so that's the difference. I don't want to oversimplify this by saying, "Oh, it's just a movie," and so that's how it ends up. But you look at what's happening in markets right now, right now around the inflation trade. People are trading on the basis of it's Act Three, it's resolution, volatility down, mm-hmm. climbing these walls of worry. Each wall of worry, each worry will be over oh, the next, you know, inflation print. So if tomorrow is lighter than expected. Not that it'll be good, right? Inflation right. is still horrible in the real world it, with really insane real-world consequences. But if the perception is, oh, it's less than expected, there'll be a continuation of this script, right? And, you know, stocks will go up, volatility goes down. So it's, it's, it's to, to me, Grant, you know, once I started seeing the world through this lens of we're all just playing out these different movies, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in both in our own lives and kind of in you know, in general, and powerful interests are actively trying to script us to behave as if we are in this movie rather than that movie. Right, right. Man, that's where it. That's well, that, that's where I am right now. Let, yeah, well, let, let's come on to that one second. I just, I just want to clarify one more thing about this. I want to clarify, but you know, this this idea of living in a movie and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, through, through your work, I mean, really it's, you, you've been the prime driver of my understanding of all this stuff, this idea of, of comfortable narratives that we are familiar with and, and 
we sit in them cosily and we, yep. as you say, we know what to expect. We know, we all know every twist in a rom-com. We know exactly when the guy's going to disappear and they, they're yep. going to break up and we know they're going to get back. We understand all that. But what I find really interesting, and this occurred to me when I watched um, No Time to Die, the latest mm-hmm. Bond film. Yeah. Did you see yeah. that? I'm sure yeah, you did. I know you're a Bond fan yeah. like me. Um, you know, here is a, a movie that has not just uh, a standard script in terms of the overall scripts that we face, but a standard Bond script, right? It's a script within a script. That's right. We, we know how every Bond movie goes. And yet this one, they managed not only to kill him off at the end, which mm-hmm. was a shock. I did not see that coming. They managed to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they did twist the script. And what I find interesting is what a, what a great idea, what a great thing to do. If you think about it from the movie maker's perspective – you get a huge surprise at the end. What I was interested about was the reaction of all the people I've spoken to about that movie because some of them thought, like I did, well, what a great idea to kill mm-hmm. him off. Mm-hmm. Didn't see that coming. Brilliant. Huge shock. But the majority of people were uncomfortable because it didn't, to your point, it didn't wrap up with Bond saving the day and getting the girl and... It, it, and it took people out of that comfort zone. It took yep. people away from that cozy narrative that they feel wrapped up in. So I think that a lot of what I mean about gain of function is intentionally trying to make people feel a little uncomfortable because that's what increases engagement, right? So the goal of, of, of so much of the gain of function work is not necessarily to get people to like you or to like what you're saying, to use nice words. And, oh, that was nice. Because that can be very forgettable. What is unforgettable is the shock. What is unforgettable is the dislike. What is unforgettable is, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this to this beloved franchise or what what have you, right? That's that's not a bug. That's a feature, right? It's entirely, entirely intentional. And this is the crazy thing, getting back to, to, to Facebook. I mean, you know, in their in the documents, the whistleblower documents about, you know, what Facebook is, they're saying, no, yep, that's our research. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is exactly what we try to do. Uh, we get, there's, there's so much more engagement for a dislike than there is for a like. So, yeah, we want to... We want to make people feel uncomfortable, but make them feel uncomfortable in a very prescribed way. Right. True for politics, right? What's what's the best way to get you know people in your tribe is to make some insane claim about the other uh, about the other tribe. Yep. Right? So whether it's for commerce, whether it's for selling movie tickets, whether it's for getting votes, this is at the heart of of again what I'm calling gain of function research on narratives. It is exactly like a virus. They are absolutely being weaponized. And the goal is to make you sick. (laughs) You don't weaponize a virus to make people healthy. You don't do gain of function and weaponization of narratives to make people feel better and to make them healthy. You do it to make them sick. Uh, And because that sickness links them to you as that source of, uh, you know, economic or political goodies or social goodies, whatever it is, it is an addiction, right? And we're hardwired to respond to it in that sort of way. So what what happens to us, what happens to our brains when we do feel this discomfort, when when Bond does die and we weren't expecting it, when Trump does get elected and we weren't expecting it? What what happens to our brains in those situations? And how is that, that kind of weaponized language used to take that response from us and push us down a predetermined path. Dopamine and norepinephrine. That's what happens to us. Right. And that's Didn't what you write the, when Harry met Sally. <laughs> 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 this is how weaponization takes place. Right. The goal is to again to act in that electrochemical soup that we all share of hundreds of billions of neurons inside our own heads, each wired to respond to specific grammatical structures, to specific what we call in linguistics, engrams, words, units of grammatical meaning, linguistic meaning, entire stories, right? You've got neurons in there that are that respond to the Bond story, mm-hmm. right? Not James Bond specifically, but that story that respond to, you know, a rom-com princess, 
meets Prince and unrequited love. All of these stories have neurons dedicated to them in your brain. I know that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And so what you're trying to do, if you're doing gain-of-function research here, again, is to, just like genetic work on a virus, insert a little snippet here, take out a little snippet there to make it fire more dopamine and norepinephrine. Look, this is why everything is now a bet in our world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's exactly the same thing. Why is, you know, this is our Robin Hood world where, oh, I'm, I'm buying options, you know, one day call options and put options on something. It's a bet. Yeah. It's pure and simply a bet. It's why there's now legalized gambling in, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's most states yet, but it's a lot of states now. Yeah. yeah. Right. New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, you know, my, my tri-state area. It's, it's, it's there on our little dopamine machine, our little iPhone. And I'm, or our, or our, you know, galaxy or whatever it is you have, right? So all of this is of a piece, right? Whether it is the spread of gambling, what I'm going to call the speculation layer that oozes over everything today, it oozes over politics, it is oozes over markets, and it oozes over sports. Uh, it is it exists in everything we do, everything certainly in social media, everything in media. Period to fire those neurons and to generate that dopamine and norepinephrine in very predictable ways because that is what we are addicted to. We are, yeah. That is what we are hardwired to respond to. And big politics, big media, and big tech, to your point, they've gotten so good at this gain-of-function research over the past six years. So good. They've married yeah. it with now this ubiquitous window into the metaverse. They've gotten all of us to carry around our little window, and I'm holding up my iPhone here. We yeah. all carry around our little window into the metaverse, into the world of narratives and grammars and engrams. We are never apart from it. It is the monkey certainly on my back where I can't go three minutes without saying, oh, what messages did I get? Right. I right. need that little more little tingle to my brain and we all carry around the dopamine and norepinephrine delivery device. We did it to ourselves. So, so let me ask you, and I'm, I'm so happy you brought up this idea about um, everything being a bet, because this is something else that I've noticed and wanted to talk to you about. You know, and, and it's interesting the order you chose. You said it happens in markets, it happens in politics, it happens in sports. But what I think I find so interesting is if you reverse that order, that's the kind of progression. It started in sports, it moved to politics, and now it's in markets. And... When I think about that, I think about sport and the amount of betting there is in sport. And look, America is very late to this party. You know, I yep. grew up in the UK. And exactly. betting was everywhere and everything. And and when I worked in London in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, firms like City Index started to satiate this, this desire of everybody in the city to bet on everything. You know, you could bet on the number of throw-ins there'd be in a soccer match. You could yep. bet on the, num the number of minutes the ball would be out of play. If you wanted to bet on it, they would find, they would offer you a price. And that has taken off in America, the sports books and stuff. You could bet on sports long before you could have legal casinos everywhere. But with sport, I think everyone betting on sports knows that it's a game. And they know that you put your money on it and the outcome, you can win, you can lose, after a while, it's no more than that. In the moment, you're, you're pissed that you lost your money or whatever it may be, but there's something in the back of your brain says, it's a game. That's how it works. You win, you mm -hmm. lose, nothing to get upset about. And, and even controversies where there's a refereeing decision yep. that went against them or it dies down, it goes away because it was a bet. You could It's a coin toss, you lost. Okay, fine. You move that into politics mm -hmm. where it's a much longer-term angst. It's a four-year angst if if your bet doesn't come off. But by by adding that layer of betting to politics, it again, it dulls our reaction to it because you're, a lot of people now think of it in terms of a bet gone wrong. Yep. And now here we are in markets. Here we are in markets, which ideally one would think were a place where you invest for a long term. But you've now reduced that to speculation and you've reduced it to a bet. And and I'm, I'm in the middle of listening to Spencer Jacob's fantastic book, The Revolution That Wasn't, where he's talking about the GameStop and Reddit yep. and all that stuff that went on in 2020. And when you listen to, to how that was all done to make people just see it as a bet and how they 
uh, came out with an update that said you are now allowed to buy options up until 3 p.m. on right. the day of expiration. Right. You know, that was a deliberate, as you said, right. it's a deliberate, it's a feature, not a bug. And so this idea of, of changing everything mentally in our brains to a bet means that you can't get angry if you lose. You, you'll be pissed in the short term, but you know ultimately, eh, it's a coin toss either way. And that feels very dangerous to me in terms of what the, I'm coming back to these powerful interests you talked about earlier on. It seems very dangerous to me that you reduce everything to a binary outcome and you condition everybody to be upset in the moment, but because there was always a 50-50 chance that you could lose, to forget about it and go away. It means people can get away with all kinds of things Regulators don't have to act, and we let it go. Here's what I think is going on, Grant. I think it's a very intentional effort to desensitize us to everything to do with money and to hypersensitize us to everything that has to do with politics. Mm -hmm. I think that's entirely intentional, right? Because if you're desensitized to money, yeah, just money, right? It's just, you know, a little microtransaction. I lost this. I lost that. We all know how that adds up over time. We all know what is lost in that, that you're not compounding, right? It, which is which is the only thing that builds wealth, really, it is, yep. I swear, right? It's the only good thing we've got going for us as human beings, right, is that you can compound wealth over time. Right? That's it. That really is it. Yeah, right. right. But that this takes that away, right? It, again, it's a desensitization to everything to do with money. And it's a hypersensitization to everything to do with politics, and it's done that way because that's both of those developments, changes in the way we think, work in service to those who would either maximize their political power or those who would maximize their economic power. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I think, most powerful ways of thinking about the human brain, and this goes back to kind of the late 80s where this really started to take off a guy named David Marr. There were some others who really wrote about this, is to think about the brain in terms of you know, information processor, right? And, and that the thinking of our brain as this gigantic network, complex network, but achieving certain functions, certain cybernetic functions, it's really useful in kind of figuring out, well, you know, what is the brain for and how does it actually work? Yeah, yeah. And once you start thinking about, you know, the brain that way, Right, as this cybernetic system, you know, it's got some certain functions, and you know, it, this is the way a network process is like. <laughs> it really, I think, helps you see how we are being trained, how we are truly hardwired to respond to these sort of impulses. And that there really are specific grammars. I like to call them, you know, specific tribal grammars, right? There's there's a, a tribal grammar we call othering. Right, which has language and a set of words and phrases that are used for it that set up the in-group, pose and out-group, have very reasonable statements for your core beliefs, but also present very out-there statements, both to alienate the other side and also that right. you can retreat back from to your kind of pleasant core beliefs. And this is all very intentionally done, right? both to desensitize around money but also to hypersensitize around politics, which is really the realm of tribes and othering. There are tribal, which are called mirroring or, or reflecting, which are trying to encourage common knowledge, meaning making the crowd look at itself. Oh, everybody's mm-hmm. doing it, you know? Right, and, and, right. And, and then everyone knows that everyone knows that the way to think about the Super Bowl is a series of small bets. The way to think about sports is not really rooting or having allegiance to a team and caring really whether they win or lose, but on a comp- on a competitive basis. But, you know, what did my fantasy team do? You know, did yeah. I did yeah. I make a winning bet for, you know, whatever prop bet I've got that happens in the second half? It's all intentional and it's all very effective because it works on our primate animal brains. And when you think of it in these kind of terms of information processing approach, it's 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 amazing to me that, you know, it Frankly, it took this long. And the reason it took this long is that it took this long for us to all have these little windows into the metaverse uh, in in, in our hands, our smartphones and the like, so that it's truly always on. It's changed the way we consume media, 
right? So we now have 24-7, quote-unquote, news channels. News, Didn't yeah. exist before. Obviously, there's no you know news information to fill up 24-7 time. So it becomes opinion, right? It becomes weaponized narratives that fill up all of Bloomberg programming, CNN programming, Fox programming. Again, these are all just delivery devices for these weaponized narratives. And that's the world so we're how, in. So, so how does this potentially go? When I think about this, I, and I think we're hardwired and we react a certain way that makes us as a as a species as a group reasonably predictable you know you can craft the language and as you say tweak it here and there tweak it here and there but but you're always going to be making small tweaks so that things don't go crazy and then bringing people to the conclusion you want but how does this potentially go wrong because what what you do when you make politics the target of this you take humans back to their elemental tribal nature and that elemental tribal nature is unfortunately a violent one. Um, that's just the way it is. And so surely there must be a, a, a possibility, however small or however large, I don't know, that by making these tweaks, you miscalculate your gain of function research, you put a couple of wrong tweaks in, and you end up with a chaotic outcome as opposed to an outcome where you've directed people exactly where you want to take them. Again, you keep talking about this like that's a, a bug rather than a feature. <laughs> right. <laughs> the yeah, violence yeah, I know. I the stop conflict, doing that. <laughs> right? That's right. Uh, on, on, on the contrary, and I, and I think that's you know particularly why we've been intentionally hypersensitized to anything to do with you know political issues. But I think that this is exactly what a political entrepreneur wants, right? You don't you don't want a decline in volatility, right? You don't want a resolution, right. right? That script that I was describing, right, earlier was for markets, right? For, for that economic yes. thing. Yeah. It, it's, that's, that's not the script you want if you're trying to maximize the engagement and the loyalty of a political group. You want confrontation all the time. And you can't make that kind of omelet without breaking a few eggs, as they'd say. Right. So right. the breaking of the eggs, you know, that's what is desired, I think, in this case, Grant. So you say, you know, what can go wrong? I'm trying to figure out how can we make this go right? How can we defend ourselves against what yeah. seems to me to be a truly formidable foe, right, of an always-on window into thought shifting narratives, grammars, and words. You know, <laughs> for me, I'm, I, I kind of see what's going wrong. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, how to, how, to, how to make it right. And part of the answer here is that uh, this is not a mean reverting phenomenon, right? We don't, yeah, that's what we, worries we, me. We, we don't go back to a world where everyone doesn't have a smartphone. We don't go back to a world where people forget that, oh, you know what? I can tweak this, 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 this language set, right? This grammar, this little narrative, and I can make it hyper powerful. Right? I don't want to go out. We can we can all think of examples about this, right? But you know the the the, the Canadian truckers. Yep. That's a great example now of, of of an entirely weaponized narrative for everyone, for for yes. for, for every yes. political interest, right? It's an entirely weaponized narrative right now, and man, it works. You know, I read about this stuff, and you know, and I and I get kind of upset about it, right? And we are all susceptible to this, even if we think we aren't. So there, there's yeah. a large part of this that says, well, you know, we can't go go back. There is no return. But what I I think is possible here, Grant, I think there are a couple of things. I think from a top-down perspective, which frankly I'm least interested in, because I think top-down mm -hmm. efforts to um, legislate protection on this or the like, I think almost always is subverted in one way or another. But I do think it is possible to break up big tech, right? I do think that there is a potential political path forward for that. And I'm all in favor of it. I am all in favor of it. You know, what does that mean specifically? It means I know, you know, Facebook, can't also own Instagram and WhatsApp. Sorry, right. but it's like, you know, Ma Bell, you got to break them up. Google, got to break them up. 
Maybe it means you've got, you know, Facebook Europe and you've got Facebook US. Maybe those are separate companies too. There, there are lots of ways to think about breaking up big tech. And I think that's possible and I'm all for it. But what I think is even more powerful is the possibility of doing something from the bottom up and to actually use technology to try to A, distribute the good songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To write a new protocol for the information processing that is the human brain. You know, that, that's, that's why I find this whole, and this is a metaphor, or this is a way of thinking about it. Think of, of brains and the network of brains as, uh, you know, as like the internet, as, as like any sort of network of networks. And what's core to making those work is the software you write, we call them protocols, call them protocols. I think it's possible to write a protocol for the metaverse so that from the bottom up, we can live in this world of weaponized narratives better. And what I mean specifically is you could write a protocol that actually illustrates the words and the phrases and the grammars of a weaponized narrative. Yeah. You know, so plug in for your browser. Oh, we can do it. I mean, we're working on one right now. Right, it's 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 yeah. essential the work we do in markets where we develop these kind of libraries of words and phrases and grammars to understand the life cycle of of, of investment narratives. Well, let's do it for political narratives too. Let's put it out on a, on a on a browser plugin. It's these sort of things that I think that for me at least offer a glimmer of hope because right now right. the protocols that are being written are being written by billionaires and they are political Renfields, to use the old Dracula term. Right? right. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. The technology is there. The decentralization is there to write protocols for all of us. You know, that's why I've always, and we've had this conversation before. I, the notion of Bitcoin is becoming the global reserve currency and, you know, being, I, I just think is, well, I just think it's very wrong. And of course, then Bitcoin and crypto. Just like the metaverse becomes the metaverse TM, so does Bitcoin become Bitcoin TM. It becomes subverted and absorbed by Wall Street and by Washington. But the underlying impetus, though, the creativity, the energy that I see in crypto more generally, in DeFi more generally, man, that's what I'm talking about tapping into. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean by writing a protocol, not for money, not for that, you know, to make a better, to, to make money, but to change the way that we perceive, the way we see the words and the narratives and the grammars that are being used against us today. That's what excites me. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You had to do it, didn't you? You had to you had to bring up Bitcoin. I did. You had to do it. But you know, isn't it interesting that as as you say, um that began with those lofty ideals. And as ultimately now in many places that I've seen as I try and understand it better and try and f- get comfortable with the things that I'm not comfortable with, it has become a febrile ground for exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Language, um, narrative, the power of words to try and persuade people, you know, number go up, orange thing good or yep. whatever they, whatever it is they say. And, 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 the kind of, I guess, elegance of that is they're not hiding it. They're, you can find this stuff on the internet, these people explaining exactly what's happening, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and what their stated goals are, you know? It, you know, you're right. So so crypto as, an, as a security, right, as something you buy and sell, getting back, you know, transactions, right? It's all narrative. It's pure narrative. It's wonderful for me. I mean, it's just like it's it's like a little a wonderful little laboratory for me to to look at. Right. But it's a laboratory again where people are trying to construct. You know, who says it? What are they saying? Oh, let's get Elon. You know, Elon tweets this. He tweets that. Makes this difference. Makes that difference. Let's get Mark Cuban. You know, blah, blah, blah. it's doing what I'm talking about doing it, but for the forces of <laughs> you know. <laughs> If not evil, at least you know avarice. As opposed to right. what I'm hoping to see is is to use that same energy and impetus, not to make money, uh, but to let us see, because seeing is believing. Right? Why do people believe in microbes and the microverse? Because we've got a microscope and we can see it. It's like, right. oh wow, there are those little critters in there, right? Oh, I I see that now. I can believe in that. 
this, we need the same thing, and I think we can build the same thing for the metaverse, an instrument that allows us to see it. And once you see it, once you see that you know this invisible world of narratives is more impactful on you than the invisible world of viruses, and yep. people are trying to create and weaponize these narratives just as we fear they are trying to create and weaponize viruses, well, then I think things can start to change. But until people see it, and that's the technology I want to try to develop, it's so easy to be lulled asleep because we are hardwired with our dopamine and norepinephrine receptors. You know, it's, it's like a dog. You know, it could be very interesting. I was like, squirrel, squirrel. Right? Right. right. That's, again, it's intentional. Squirrel. That's, yeah. We, yeah, we live no in a kidding. world of squirrels. We're dogs and we live in a world where squirrels are intentionally put in front of us. It's, you know, it's a great way to put it. Yeah, just it's just just before we close, you, you mentioned a, a minute ago there uh, songs, and there was a, a piece in I think it was the, the the first metaverse piece what you call the original meme lords. Yep. And, uh, and and I love that. So just because that 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 really spoke to me about those two songs because when you when you talk about what you hope to see, those two songs basically sum up how you get to the place where yeah. you can build something good out That's of That's right. So just, just, just I'm trying to figure out how that. things can go right, you know, and, and, yeah. and part of the answer is to use the technology for us instead of for them. The other thing is to remember that, you know, there's some good narratives out there too. There's, there's some good animals that live in the metaverse, uh, you know, because these are the ideas that are at the heart of every religion and philosophy in the history of our species. And those OG meme lords that I'm talking about, well, they're Socrates and they're Jesus, who had two really good narratives that we are also hardwired to respond to. Mm -hmm. This is the great thing we're hardwired to respond to. Their songs, their stories, their narratives. Socrates, know thyself. That's the narrative of identity. It's the narrative of self-examination. Jesus, love thy neighbor as you love thyself. It's the narrative of empathy. It's 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 the narrative like it's the the narrative of the soul. Yeah. And these are these are such powerful stories because they ring true for us. We are hardwired to respond to them. The issue today is that they are drowned out. They are drowned out in the noises of transactions, of bets. They are drowned out in the noise of narratives that, sensi- that, that, that seek to hypersensitize us to politics and us versus them. And part of the goal here is to diminish those and to make room so that we can sing those old songs again. Because they do move us. They do hit us. And I'm telling you, Grant, this has all happened before. This has all happened before. And that's why part three of this note is going to be the Luther Protocol after Martin Luther. Because, you know, you know, Martin Luther, his big thing was indulgences. It was transactions, right? Where the you were you were allowed to buy your way into heaven, right? right? You 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 would pay money, and it's the same thing today. It's but just in a secular sense, right? Oh, you want to be a you know a a, a good Democrat? Well, you need to vote for this ridiculous candidate. Uh, you know that's the price you pay. Sorry to be a good citizen. Yeah. A good Democrat or a good Republican. Oh, you want to be a good investor? Well, the price you pay is to buy this ridiculous security, right? To, 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 that's the price you pay, right? We live in a world of indulgences. And Martin Luther used the technology of his day, the printing press, just as we can use the technology of our day, to say, nope, nope. We need to sing these songs of autonomy, of identity, of what each of us is capable of, because each one of us, Grant, is capable of love, and each one of us is capable of self-knowledge. And we don't need the state, we don't need the church, we don't need the NFL, we don't need anybody to give us those abilities. They are innate, they are ours, and they cannot be taken away. But we can damn sure give them away, and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, Ben. You know, it's uh, it's the it's the perfect way to end. 
you know, I, 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 you know how much I love these conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy we've finally had another one after such a long time. But look, before we wrap up, and there's so much to think about there, and, and I would urge anybody out there that doesn't read your stuff, it's so important. I mean, it is important. It's not just interesting and educational, but it's important. And so, you know, let people know how they can become a part of the Epsilon Theory Pack, because I think <laughs> the, the bigger that pack becomes, the, the better the chance for all of us to, to come out of this. Well, thank uh, you, Grant. Right uh, it's, it's, it's all Epsilon Theory all the time. So it's um, EpsilonTheory.com. It's at Epsilon Theory on on Twitter, you know, that's, there's lots of stuff, you know, it's, it's there for free. Give, give me your email address and, you know, you can read, you know, lots of free notes, including these we were just talking about. It really is something that is my life's work to try to talk about narrative in the metaverse, the real metaverse. And it's, um, you know, it's a life worth living. So thank you for giving me this, me this opportunity to talk about this grant. Oh. Uh, it's always such no, a pleasure the, the, to, uh, to to be on the, with you. The, ple- the pleasure is all mine. And and again, you know, I mean, I mean it. Thank you for the, the stuff you do. Is as I say, I think it's important. And um, you know, to, to close on another song, frankly, nobody does it better. So um, <laughs> and that brings us all the way back to James Bond again. So Ben, mate, thank you so much. Um, say hi to everybody up there at Little River Farm for me. And um, fingers crossed, we'll we'll get together at some point in person this year. I love that. Thank you, Grant. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, so as always, a conversation with Ben has left my head spinning with ideas and a much better understanding of the bigger game that play around us. I try to understand the power of language and how it is being used to direct us down preordained pathways is, I think, so important. And once you actually recognise this is happening, I promise you, you'll never watch or read the news the same way again. And that is a decidedly good thing. So once again, my thanks to Ben for his time and his insight, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That's all from me this time. I'll be back again with another podcast soon. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Nothing we discussed during the narrative game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.